0: On Labyrinths. I don't have a lot to say about it, really.
1: Okay, good. All right, uh, we'll start in a second. Let me just find a good time point. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Nerdy Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Tom. With we'll me again is Will and Bruce. Hey, hi, guys.
2: Hi, guys. Hi, guys.
1: Excellent. All right, so uh, we've been kind of hitting all the great 80s fantasy films. And last time we did Legend, which featured uh, Mia Sarah. And interestingly enough, she almost got the lead in the movie we're talking about today. Also from uh, 1986, the last film directed by Jim Henson. It is, of course, the, f- the film that made you fear comfortable pants. That would be Labyrinth. <laughs>
2: Uh, a lovely film, I think.
0: Uh, well, definitely. well, it's a very visually stunning film. Uh, I don't know that I'd call it lovely. There's some pretty sketch stuff in this film.
2: Weirdly enough, I thought it was uh, more like posthumously popular. I didn't know whether or not... I just didn't know until I did some research how big it actually was at the time. Uh, but I recall... like. I think there may be two lifespans for this movie. There's the lifespan of the film itself. And then there's the lifespan of the soundtrack, because I don't know a nerd to whom I could not drop the line. You remind me of the babe. What babe? That, that song. Babe with power. Just, 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 burned through, like, 80s teenage nerddom, like, as almost as much as, like, Monty Python sketches. So, uh, in my mind, this film was more successful than it was at the time, and even though I didn't have strong memories of the film, I had strong visual impressions of David Bowie, strong visual (coughs) impressions as a teenage boy of Jennifer Connelly, and... I thought that because of the, like, general presence and quotability, that it had a bigger sort of following. I mean, it does seem to have a cult following, but I was just sort of surprised at what this film actually was versus my impression of it before we started. Yeah, this is definitely sense? a Mandela
1: effect hard for this film.
2: Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. I, I just, I thought it was more than it was, but it also... Let, yeah, I, I, I've talked a lot now. I'll let you guys talk. No, you're
1: actually right. So for those of you who haven't seen it, please watch it. But it's a um, it, it's a kind of complicated fantasy adventure in which a uh, teenage girl played by Jennifer Connelly and basically her starring debut uh, has to uh, travel through a labyrinth to retrieve her uh, baby brother who has been stolen or, or basically taken by the Goblin King played by david bowie and it's a musical like a lot of jim henson projects and uh it's a very interesting one because it's got a monty python esque theme to it because terry jones was one of the writer one of the writers he's credited as the sole writer but he's not the only writer on this film and uh has very complex muppet like characters and also a very henson creature shop like character so it's kind of a little bit of a mix of both um so it and it's I would say some of the best, like just similar to like Legend, some of the best examples of what you can do with practical effects more than anything else. And also one of the first examples of CGI as well with the uh, CGI owl in the film. So, uh,
0: Will, what's your take? Um, if you want me to sum up this movie in a phrase, it's, Grill discovers that responsibility in growing up is often confused with burgeoning sexuality, the movie. Um, yes. So... I I, I think that there is a lot of visual, um, visually impressive scenes in this film. Um, the problem is there's also a few scenes that really just fall super flat, uh, especially uh, that they don't hold up. Uh, the puppetry, the puppets and puppetry does hold up quite well. Uh, the dance magic dance sequence has over 50 puppets. They're all being puppeted at the same time. David Bowie's in there. They're dancing. It looks relatively natural. There's a baby. There's child endangerment. It's all a good time. Um, it's the 80s, baby. And it's then you the have the the Fiery's sequence where Jennifer Connelly and a bunch of puppets you can pull their limbs off uh, and heads and such are dancing around a fire. And the blue screen on that is terrible. Um, yes. Now, it looked better on like a fuzzy VHS, which was the first time I saw this. Uh, I thought it was a much more impressive. I mean, I've seen this movie three times. Um, the first time I saw it, I was a young kid. I saw it on a, a blurry VHS tape. Second time I saw it, when I was in uh, college, and the third time I saw it was actually just recently. We we were previewing it to watch with my daughter because my wife loves this movie. She loves this movie, um, and I don't. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't hate it. I, I find it is an enjoyable watch but i tend to watch it specifically these days more for the the goofs rather than for the the story because the story is thin and kind of disjointed there's a lot of wonderful scenes but the transitions between scenes can often feel sort of jarring and rushed
1: yeah, I have a feeling this that was the case when you have so many people work on the script. Like Frank Oz did a write on the script. Um, legendary, uh, a lot of legendary writers took over it. And then at one point, Terry Jones rewrote it a second time to kind of bring it back to what the original plan was. Because what I read was this started out as a sequel to uh, Dark T- uh, Crystal with Jen traveling through the, the maze. And then uh, I guess Jim realized to that people didn't want to see a sequel to dark crystal so he decided to include humans this time so and then it kind of evolved into what it was um i think you know as so many different people like uh, elaine may was the last person to work on the draft so you've got british and american humor kind of being mixed in which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't and that you can kind of tell where the jokes are more are from different cultures
2: uh, I'll give this the same sort of credibility, though, that in a certain sense, um, I, I feel you on the sort of muddledness. Like there are, it could have been shorter. Uh, actually, it really wasn't that long, an hour and a half, maybe an hour and a 40, I think it is. But it yeah. could have it could have been cut. There there was just fluff scenes, scenes of Jennifer Connelly climbing things for no particular reason. Um, and not even in a tawdry way. Uh, there's just stuff there that that's... They could have trimmed this a lot. I think this film could have been uh, a lot stronger at the 90 minute or even like the 80, 85 minute mark. There's, There's a lot of fluff here, but that aside, it's a coming of age, responsibility of adulthood story. It leans in to the sexual aspect of coming of age uh, in the form of David Bowie and his pants. Um, and I don't can think we can it's we talk about that for a second?
0: Bad about that though.
2: I don't think that's that bad. Can we? No, we have to talk. So about the let pants. me let me just interject Get here them.
0: on these pants. So uh, I, when I was a kid, I didn't notice. All right, let's just split it out. The target audience is children. Children are not going to pay that much attention to that kind of thing. They're just not. I know because I didn't. When I saw it in college, though, I literally could not stop talking about his pants for, like, the entire time we watched the film. Tom, you were there. You remember. Yeah. I literally went I, think I went that? on a 20-minute rant about those pants. And, like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. who wears uh, knit tights in, in, you know, medieval labyrinth times? But uh... – so the reason they did this is oh, because my- David Bowie – basically said, Oh yeah, I'll play this role. Um, I've read the script and I have some suggestions and his suggestions were to basically add in some ways sort of emulate the performance of the devil in legend, um, Tim Curry and add, you know, this sort of mix of, of danger and sensuality into this story and then you remember that he's creeping on Jennifer Connolly, who's 16 years old in this, and is actually 16 years old in this film. Like she's she's yes. appropriately cast. And 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 um <laughs> And right. uh, yeah, my wife is correcting me saying she's 14. I'm not, I looked it up. Her birthday was 1970, this came out in 1986. She was 16 upon the release. She was probably younger when they were filming it, but still. Anyway, yes. my point is he's creeping on it, and it's really creepy and weird and as much as i love david bowie's performance in this um i do find that it's a little creepy and a little a little wooden in places and some of that has to do with the sets because there are so many puppets because there's so much going on in every scene a lot of the voices had to basically come from the side like you couldn't have it come out of the puppet that technology didn't exist so they sort of were acting you heard the voice at the side and both jennifer connelly and david bowie you can see in the scenes where they're acting at each other it works they're acting steps up a level in the scenes where they're acting to puppets or just with puppets they're acting sort of steps down a notch and you start to get the more wooden aspects and the more forced emotions it's you know it's sort of hard to tell and it's because they're playing off of a voice over to the side and not the thing they're looking at and i think that is a bit of a detriment to the film i still like this film
2: yeah, no, I'm, going to, I'm going to go a little stronger with that. I'm going to say Connolly and Bowie did a reasonably good job. I think what Bowie was supposed to do and what Bowie thought he was supposed to do might have not been precisely the same mark. But if you're just going to take what is this story, if you're like, you know, storyboarding it or whiteboarding it out and saying it's a coming of age story. Well, we'll just say that since it is from uh, her perspective, like Jareth is a projection And, and, you know, I don't know that I want to get to, is this real, is this all in her head about a story with dancing puppets, but I, I read it as you know, on this viewing, I don't know. And I don't really have like firm memory of what my original viewing was, but on this viewing, I'm like, this is her envisionment. This is an internal story. I don't think this is uh, like Time Bandits, where the question is whether or not it really happened. I think this is a a fever dream. Uh, And in that regard, David Bowie is not meant to be human, nor is he meant to be real. I think his unreality, especially in the early scene uh, when he's claiming the baby, I, I like it. I just like what he did with it. It is alien. I mean, it also might just be David Bowie being David Bowie because the man was a bit weird. Um, and then Connolly acted above her age. She did well. She is both youthful enough to carry the, the age, but I think she did better than that. I think that, um, um, and, and I, I weirdly enough, as a younger man, I was merely uh, entranced by her. And they, they use her physical beauty well. Uh, I don't feel that she's exploited in this, but they linger over her eyes and let let the color of her hair just reflect back and use the lighting with it. So they they point out that this is a very beautiful person, Um, but I think Bowie is more sexualized generally. Uh, I even would absolutely in crazy, agree. Mature Listen. costume. It's all face makeup. Yeah. It's all facial makeup. Unlike, uh, like if it had been in Legend, where d- that was a very cleavagey. We'll just say that that <laughs> also has a place in my teenage memory. Yeah. But But um, no, I, now, I thought Conley funny brought
1: up. Yeah. it's funny you brought time bends because you know time bends has that great shot early in the movie where he basically everything in his room he encounters later because he's got all the toys are basically right, put, including the battle. This one, the same thing. You see everything in her room that she kind of encounters, including a lot of the toys she encounters, including her dog is basically what did to Mrs. Wrighty. And the one shot that they tried to carefully put in but keep it subtle is. You know, we find you know, her mother's here. Her mother's gone. She's an actress, and in a photo of her, she's acting with another man, and that's David Bowie. So, the idea so there seems to be that is that David Bowie stole her mother, so now he's stealing her brother. So, you get the idea that there is a some kind of maybe you know, Jocasta esque. F- uh, feelings she's dealing with while this film's going through. Cause he's the personification of the man her mother has run off with.
0: Oh, you know, I never considered yeah. it from that angle, but that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I did again, yeah. things I noticed when I didn't notice when I was a kid that I noticed when I was an adult was I didn't realize that the mother was supposed to be a stepmother until I was older. Um, again, I, yeah. I you know, I was really not very perceptive as a child and I'm not very perceptive now. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I guess that goes with it. Um, I, I think that this was originally written for a character who was probably supposed to be a bit younger than 16 originally. Um, just some of the behaviors and some of the dialogue uh, seems yeah. written for a younger character. I think I've talked about this before where people uh, playing much younger, much older characters than they are doesn't always work. And the the beginning of this is a good example of that. I think the opening sequence is a bit awkward it establishes certain things but it also establishes just how weird sarah is <laughs> yeah the, and that's i
1: think another factor she's you know I, I think it's she's supposed to imply she's 13 14 so she's just hitting that age so but she's obsessed with fantasy drama she's a, she wants to be an actress like her mother so when you get if, if that's not as clear in the beginning that would kind of it, it, if they made that a lot more clear that her mother's an actress and that she's trying to basically follow in her mother's footsteps it kind of would explain more of her her dr- drama that she has at the beginning of the movie
2: yeah, no uh, I, I think that a director's cut of this and I didn't know if there was one uh, I actually didn't see anything about that but I, I think you know if they still had the masters to do it uh, I think this could be recut much better I, I actually really uh, think Hinson there's a great film in here but it's not what they' it's not what they put together
1: yeah yeah Hanson uh, still had had full control because George Lucas paid for this and he let him do whatever he wanted he, he literally told him this is your movie which is Funny because Gary Kirsch had uh, had funded um, Dark Crystal, so George Lucas like, well, fine, you're, I'm gonna fund this next one. So he funded uh, this one, and you could, you almost feel there's certain George Lucas tidbits on here too, because he apparently kind of would carefully suggest stuff as well. But Jim Henson had a lot of respect anyway from all of his commercial work and his short films he'd done, you know, prior to. And you have to think in the '80s he did three movies. He did uh, The Great Muppet Caper. Dark Crystal and this. And after that, he just did shorts and TV specials from that point on until he died. So it's this film either burned him out on doing feature directing or he decided it wasn't for him.
2: Yeah, no, I think the the, the fact is it didn't make the money. And again, I was a little surprised by that because, again, in my little set of circle of 80s friends it had high penetration and i know people who went and saw it two three times uh these other people who enthusiastically sang along too uh it was uh like the musical theater crowd loved this film uh well, I'm freaking and then
0: it,
2: yeah and then it had legs in like the late 80s early 90s dragon con circuit there was a lot of costumes and cosplay for this and um i don't know i I, I think there's there's a certain degree of david bowie personally just pushing this thing forward even more because whether or not it stands as a performance if you're just doing it in little bites here for sort of the visual like there are 20 good album covers in here Uh, You know what I'm saying? Like there's beautiful stage work, there's sets, the music numbers are nice. Um, Like there's a lot of pieces of this where it it just goes. Like I will, while you might not want to rewatch the movie with your kids, if they became hooked on the song and you just had it on a repeat on YouTube for the song, that's not the worst thing in the world that could happen.
0: Oh, absolutely not. Um, I The reason we were screening it was because uh, my child tends to be a little more sensitive to certain, quote unquote, scary things, although she's rapidly getting over that. So, we, we, I mean, this was um, a few months ago, and I think that even in that six months, she's already matured considerably. Uh, so for kids I think this is a great film for children there's a lot of visual entertainment here there's a lot of very good very excellent practical effects there's a good mix of yes humor and adventure and even scary I mean the scene where Sarah falls down the hole with the hands is kind of creepy and I but I love the puppetry I love the puppetry there and I love the, the the hand faces that's such a wonderful scene um there's a lot to love in this movie and, from a visual standpoint. Yeah, and you gotta...
1: I, the hand puppet, you know, the hand sequence and, like, going into that hole, probably some of, I would say, Jim Henson's best work showing that you don't have to have an elaborate puppet to be create characters. I mean, that's literally just a bunch of hands. You know, some are his hands, some are his son's hands, some are... I mean, most of the Muppet crew worked on this, and that's just showing what they can do without...
0: And I think that's one of the things that appealed to um, the late 80s, early 90s crowd, because this was a much bigger hit on home video, uh, both on Laserdisc, on on VHS, even Betamax releases. Um, This was a huge hit on that because when you're in a movie theater, you get one experience. You can sort of absorb it and you either get it or you don't. And then. At the time, you know, before the advent of home video, you couldn't sit there and ponder over a film too much. So things couldn't be super detailed and super complex, or they would basically, uh, and I don't want to say wasted, but they were wasted. You saw the movie, you you couldn't go watch it again later on VHS, DVD, etc. You can watch this repeatedly and just catch so many little details uh, in all the scenes and really... Yeah, the rentals make more sense. Pick it apart, it and it's time, just so. such a wonderful experience. Um, I mean, my my friend group again, part, Some of it was the theater crowd. Some of it was the nerd crowd. Uh, they loved this film. Um, and let me just go on a small tangent here about this film. It is so good to see an '80s film with a strong female protagonist. <laughs> like, yes, this. I mean, this is a text. this is a good film for that. <laughs>
2: I was prepared to be embarrassed here because I didn't have strong memory of the full plot. I had the, a visual recollection in the songs and I was terrified that they were going to sex object to Jennifer Connelly. And I was terrified that she was going to be useless. Uh, and she uh, like as an adult, fully adult viewing, because I was, you know, 16 ish. So I was the right age to have a big crush on Jennifer Connelly. Uh, it, as an adult viewing i'm like this is like down to the the costuming like she's wearing very practical and not at all you know even though she's doing a lot of climbing around there's no awkward or terrible camera here uh jim henson didn't do any of that and the 80s was full of that with underage actors. i mean legend
0: is a good contrast here other than, like, um, That her, was
2: mostly respectful. It was, it was one bad scene. Well... It, and it
0: wasn't even that bad. It wasn't... Oh, no. And Legend is a good example here because it would be an example of an 80s film, 80s fantasy film doing it mostly right, and then Labyrinth just takes it to the next level. Because, let's face it, at the beginning of Legend, the princess is kind of useless. She gets over it, but... <laughs> The opening is not seasoned. where in this they sort of they sort of uh, trick you because the opening she's doing the whole acting thing you're like oh she's gonna be completely worthless and kind of whiny and then they flip it on its head and she's great it's, it's a lot of competence porn in this so. yeah.
2: no um... yeah and
1: it, it's it i give them credit partially because i think they trusted her also to you know play you know play as a naive but also intelligent girl I read so many actresses who tried out for the part didn't get it. Mia Sarah was one of them, and you know they shot this almost simultaneously at the same time as Legend. So it's it's interesting that that uh, you know one studio down you got Tim Curry in that demon costume, and probably
2: taking a break running <laughs> into Bowie uh,
0: uh, at the same time with the phrase parents. that launched a thousand fanfics.
2: So the thing that I will say, uh, I was stunned to like, try to imagine was Helena Bonham Carter was going to have this uh, as, uh, and I'm like, wow, that would be very different, but I can't actually imagine a profitable recast. Connolly. I mean, love the film, like the film, hate the film. She did that character. Well, Uh, any flaws in the character, I think were written there like anything that's like awkward. I think there's just been not well-written dialogue. I don't think she did anything badly. She's believable throughout. She's like a little incredulous, a little clever, a little horrified. And and she carries those tones well and distinctly and then does it all simultaneously. I thought she did good. I mean, I understand why her star was made by this film. Yeah,
1: and I I would say she's Hermione before Hermione. (laughs) You can see her. yeah. Uh, And one last thing I thought we could cover before we kind of finish is, you know, this film's part of his obsession is because it is David Bowie. It's his, I would say it's his biggest movie he ever did. You know, after this, he does Pontius Pilate, Last Temptation of Christ, and does a lot of television and some smaller parts later on. But this is his, like, central film besides, say, The Hunger or... the man who fell to earth. I mean, this is like the definitive David Bowie. This is at the height of David Bowie's popularity. You know, uh, Let's Dance had come at the, a couple of years earlier. Modern Love was released around this time, so we, they could have got. I mean, it was almost Michael Jackson or Mick Jagger, and they uh, his kids talking to Bowie. And I think that's pretty much the perfect choice for this part. I don't see anyone else doing it correctly.
2: No, I, I, I can't imagine a recast here that would be profitable. Not really. No, and the thing about it,
1: you, Bo it's it's a perfect choice. Bowie, you know, at this point, he's his son's like, I think ten, so and you know, Henson's kids are teenagers, so you've got people working who understand children and or teenagers. So it's like they're they're working on the level that they think is supposed to be appropriate for them, which I give them credit for. You know, this is not you know, a big action, I mean, action. I mean, it has action sequences, but it's a, it's a thinking one. So, you know, I give them credit for a lot of this high. it's very high fantasy, even though it's not that complicated. You know, you. it's the great, it's probably the greatest D&D campaign you could think of. It's going through a maze, battling goblins, answering riddles, and getting to the quest at the end to save the baby. It's like, you can't get a more perfectly laid out one night experience.
2: Yeah, uh, interestingly enough, though, I still think it should have been cut down. I think that um, I, I, I will now. The thing is, is I think people are prepared to dislike this because then they always say the plot is thin. But for uh, this film or for legend, um, my feeling is if you're going to try to film a fairy tale, don't crowd it with exposition. Let it be. Let it be airy and open to interpretation. Um, that's that's. Uh, yeah. I, and I think there's a tension. I think maybe filming fairy tales is difficult because a fairy tale is more of a told thing and a read out loud thing, and not a thing yeah. that you carefully think about or watch for an hour and a half. Um, I mean, that 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 just may be it. Uh, so I, I don't know. Uh, I hope I'm, I'm. I think I'm maybe slowly talking Will out of Beans quite so negative here. But I'm not, but I'm not I'm saying mean, I don't. I don't I see, your point I see your point. I'm out the flaws in the movie. No, I, I see your points though. Will. It isn't wonderfully made. It isn't wonderfully scripted. Sometimes many of the scenes don't hold up. Uh, I think many of the scenes probably could have been done without. But I still think that what you do have that works is really good like uh, yeah if this had just been a sketch on the muppet show of dance magic dance like what would that have been that would have been the triumph of it
1: oh i've always wondered why Bowie wasn't on the muppet show this is one of the greatest examples like that he quit doing the muppet show because of dark crystal if he brought it back in the mid-80s bowie would have been the perfect guest on the muppet show this is like a this is really what a muppet show episode should have been they could have gotten so much out of this, <laughs> so it's it's so weird that it didn't happen. Uh, I do. I think we can all agree some of the songs are fantastic. Some of the songs are a little, you know, are, are you know, hit and miss. And I do think that uh, some of the things, you know, I, like for instance, some of the characters like Ludo, I think, are cute, but maybe aren't really that great for the whole story. Hoggle, meanwhile, is actually a pretty neat you know, creation in general. Then you have Sardanimus, which is almost the intentionally annoying past on purpose, you know? Uh,
0: so I've got a couple, before we wrap up here, I've got a couple of fun facts about the Labyrinth movie. Yeah. Um, there were two music videos uh, from the four David Bowie songs in this. There were two music videos that came out of that. And the director of those music videos went on to direct um, some episodes of Jim Henson, the storyteller and also the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Uh, huh. Yep. Uh, another fun fact was do better research than I do. <laughs> another fun fact is um, Labyrinth, the computer game, was the first adventure game Lucasfilm Games ever put out, uh, and it was a bigger commercial success than Labyrinth at the American box office. Further. Uh, this is the one. Everyone talks about how great Lucasfilm adventure games are. This is the prototypical one. This was the first one. Uh, they based their SCUMM engine off of this. Maniac Mansion was the next one. And a lot of the stuff they incorporated into this adventure game was reused in Maniac Mansion. So there you go. Fun facts.
1: All right. Search engine history. <sighs> no. Uh, uh, yeah. And I think that's. That's, and it's also the first time they had a CGI animal. You know, this, the owl, That was the first time they tried a CGI animal for something. And Henson loved working with it. The whole Henson crew had a CGI department for, you know, they still do today. Um, I think the last thing I'd like to bring up is, you know, it's it's interesting when you bring the storyteller, because Henson wanted to keep doing more fantasy. And if Disney, if he hadn't died right after signing, signing that deal with Disney, I could see where Walt Disney and Jim Henson were going to have a really great merging because you you know this is basically would have been a great Disney animated film too. So if he had been a higher a stronger collaboration at Walt Disney Studios, we would have had some really interesting films later down the line. And it's disappointing he died suddenly like he did because it. I think that that working at Disney, he would have had some. They would have given him so much money to do whatever they want. He wanted. Who knows what we would have. We would have gotten probably another dark crystal movie would have gotten a a, a labyrinth to you know there's so many potentials and this film shows i think he was really getting a better idea how to make a longer film but i I do agree there's some sequences that aren't perfect but i think that's also just the fact matters trying to make a 90 minute movie when he's just doing 30 or 45 minute specials Mm -hmm. is very different All right, well, uh, folks, uh, thanks for listening. This has been the Good, the Bad, and the Nerdy Movie Podcast. Uh, Guys, have any final thoughts?
2: I hesitate to say everyone should go give this a look, but I think if you like Bowie's music, if you if you know the soundtrack, and especially if you are just a fan of the practical effects and the puppetry, go see it. I wouldn't necessarily drag anyone to it who is just a fantasy friend, but you know, if they, it, it's not that everyone who liked Legend or Lady Hawk or any of these other ones will like this one so uh, i don't know that i give this a big thumbs up but i i I love parts of it and i want to love the rest
0: yeah i will agree with that assessment this is what i refer to as a acquired taste uh if you've already got a taste for for really awesome puppetry and really interesting practical effects and david bowie's music and acting and you just want to see a fun romp go see it if you're just a more generic fan you know Maybe it's not going to be to your thing, but uh, I recommend people go see it. It's very entertaining.
1: Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime for anyone who hasn't watched it, so please check it out there. Uh, and, you know, if uh, something we didn't bring up was MC Escher's artwork was all over the thing, especially the, one of the final sequences. So if you're a fan of experimental art, this is also a great film for that because a lot of these different sets are all inspired by great, you know, mid-century, 20th-century artists. So check that out as well. Uh, this is definitely what we'd call – I think even though we all have different – i would call this a good movie it's not an it's it's got the nerdy quality too so if you're a music bowie fanatic it's like the ultimate movie if you're a film practical effects fan you really enjoy it but folks this has been uh this is what we would definitely call a good film i hope you guys if you haven't seen it based on what we heard check it out please and uh, keep listening make sure to hit us up on twitter and our facebook group and uh you know we're getting more and more feedback every week as yeah, from y'all. If you guys are enjoying this, so uh, thank you all for listening, guys. What time is it? Is it the thirteenth <laughs> hour?
0: Just about, but I still have to go dig through all this junk.
1: Uh oh. All right. All right, everybody. Dance, magic, dance. I'll see you, <laughs> see you all next time.
0: Bye. Right. Guys, thanks.